This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's King of Swing fighting though. He's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untapped holding on. What a win. Untapped from the RSN Sandown Cup. But Gold Trip is brave. A hundred to go. A length and a half emissary. Gold Trip is going to win the Lexus Melbourne Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the codes. Hello everyone, good morning, welcome to Cracking the Codes as we uh, get close A to Christmas and B to the end of 2022. Part of our show this morning, we're going to relive some uh, fabulous moments, our fabulous moments in 2022 and I mentioned the word our because it's our show and I'm referring to Simone Fisher and Matt Stewart. Good morning, season greetings to you both my friends. Good morning. Good morning to you both, Um, all ready for Christmas boys. When is it? It's tomorrow, shopping. isn't it? Have you then made the trifle? Have you stuffed the chook, all the rest of it? Simone actually, the chook. Bought, Simone actually bought us in <laughs> gifts today, and we gave her nothing in return other than love and affection. Yep, yep. Well, if you don't expect anything, you're not disappointed, are you? No, that's right. Set the bar low. <laughs> um, hey, Just it's your a, company. You're, I know. You're presents it to is. me. So. It's a weird time of year. We were at the back trying to plan ahead for multiple editions of everything <laughs> in the next few days. So remind me and our listeners, so tomorrow's Christmas Day, right, and then... There's racing. no racing tomorrow. Yeah, no, that's a, that's problematic. Um, we should have more Christmas days <laughs> through the year. They're, they're, actually, they are racing somewhere tomorrow. Not, you know, not in Australia, really? surely. Yeah, no, no, no. I think it's Tassie. What am I thinking of? Good Friday. No, sorry, wrong holiday. I just want to say, Simone, the Christmas cake is sensational. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> that's good. good you're getting into it. Great days racing today. It's not. It's a bit of just fair today in you know a staple fair in a, a lot of the places. But Brisbane's enormous, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yep. uh, Dean Lester made a really interesting observation on what show was it? I think it was Correct Weight a couple of Sundays ago when he was talking about. The importance of Brisbane at this time of year is a launching pad for the Brisbane winter to sort of prep them up now and then they aim up at the Brisbane winter. So summer build up to a winter grand final and there's a lot of horses today and a lot of the, the, a lot of the big sprinters are back today. Vega One's back today, my, my favourite Queensland to horse. Too. Yeah, yeah. So great day in uh, Queensland racing today and that's going to be a little bit of a... A celebratory bit of a, theme. It is going to be a bit of a theme today because the the listed races are in Brisbane today. They're not really anywhere else. There is one in Perth, a lead up to the Perth Cup. But I thought the horses that are honoured today, Felvalon and Burnborough, uh, gave us the idea that maybe we should celebrate our Queensland champions. Um, and we thought Queensland champions... A-plus horses and even A-graders. And those that want to uh, join us via the SMS with any particular ideas, you can do so. Jog our memory and see what we can come up with. Because once we started thinking about it, um, there's some very famous names. One in particular, we've got a couple of packages on. In fact, the great Burnborough, because uh, a race is named after him today. So um, it stimulated the brain. And Queensland have provided uh, Australian horse racing, harness racing and greyhound racing with with some of the best, and that will be a topical theme throughout the course of the morning. Just, just on the on the greyhounds, there's an all time great who came from Queensland who we're going to celebrate this morning, Simone. That's right. Um, I, I'm sure she would be on the top of everyone's list, and that is Flying Amy. But when I started thinking back to some of the Queensland champion greyhounds, the list is quite long. There's um, an an amazing list. Many of them trained by Tony Brett, who's been a champion trainer up in Queensland, but just a couple of others. You've got 
Bogey Lee, Dashing Corsair, Surf Laurie and Roanoke, New Tears, just the best. And there's a Greyhound high earner that literally was the highest earner at one point in time, winning about $700,000 in stakes. So a very bold name to name your Greyhound high earner. Absolutely. It must have shown promise very, very early on before, um, you know, breaking in. But when you think now that um, 700000 was... Amazing, and prior to that rapid journey, we sat at about five hundred and thirty thousand, which was equally as amazing. And now, all of a sudden, you've got wow, she's fast, which is like two point two five million. Pay off the mortgage, uh, sort of oh, earners. Going uh, a Caribbean uh, cruise or something like that. Oh, yeah. oh, really? Cruises aren't my thing, aren't no, they? Just festering disease vessels. It's anyway, good. Um, Dan. I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Black's a fake in the world yeah. of harness yeah, racing. Was Wondai's mate a Queensland? Yep, certainly was. Uh, what an amazing horse that Wondai's mate was. Um, he uh, won 73 races, uh, and he was trained at a peanut farm at Wondai. The Rinkies had him, yeah. Amazing well, horse. And probably he was the pale face Adios of, of Queensland. Everyone remembers Wondai's mate, but no doubt Blacks of Fake would sit at the top of that list. And there was a period there, John McCarthy had Be Good Johnny with Sharky, Slip and Sight. There was a lot of top-class horses at that time. But Wondai's mate uh, would go down as one of the most populous, popular harness horses of all time. And, Cosy, I'll bring you in here because you're our Queensland resident mm. historian. Uh, a lot of these great champions, whether they're greyhounds, gallopers or trotters, were of an era of where there were different tracks as well. Like, I, they were I'm not sure about one noise, mate, but if you go back to Brisbane 50 years ago, mm. where were they racing? Ah, oh, Albion Park on yep. the sand. Yep. And I'll mention a horse there who was an absolute champion on the sand, useless on the grass, Red Seas. Yeah, right. He Sounds like flight line. Yeah, he won about 16 or whatever <laughs> at the creek. And Albion Park, for those who went there, it was almost like a box. It was a right-angle turns almost. And if you took a long strider there, you're in strife. We took one there one day. And Kerry Smith wrote it and come to the first turn, nearly finished up going through the outside <laughs> fence and just couldn't take the bend. And I remember one day, because uh, Brisbane Creek was right beside it, that of a king tide and water would flood the track. And you'd have to wait till the tide went out before they continued with the races. Oh, unbelievable. Mm. Unbelievable. And uh, one, one thing that resonated with me with Queensland too, because it's such a long, elongated state, like Brisbane to Cairns is the same as Melbourne to Brisbane, as we know. And... Simone, quite often you'd get these beautiful romantic stories, and Cosy, you would have been aware of this, mm. of the sugarcane horses from up north, up around Cairns and Townsville and Rockhampton, who'd win about eight or nine in a row, and then they'd drift down into the city, into the big smoke to be tested. And there's even a few going around at the moment who have fit that bill. There was one from up in the north that I can't... Name slipped me, but he won about 21 straight. Was it Burglar of Banff? No, it wasn't no. Burglar of Banff. Another horse, but just around the bush there. Yeah, oh, yeah, not yeah. Pic- about, Picnic in the Park. Picnic in the Park. The park. Picnic in the park. Yeah, yeah, won about yeah. 21 straight. Anyway, oh four one six ninety fifty fifty two. If you've got a a great Queensland trotter, pacer, galloper, or greyhound, oh four one six ninety fifty fifty two to add to our list of Vaux rogues and Burnbras and Strawberry roads and so on. There's one great list. One that the the old timers will remember. He only had one eye. It was called Prunder, and uh, he was trained. He was Prunder was an Aboriginal word for Aboriginal fellow, I think it was. And he only had one eye, and was trained by Jim Griffiths from memory. And he used to win. He was placed in Stradbrokes the whole lot. Yep. With, uh, with one eye, because they allowed him to race then. And, of course, the most famous one who could win it, who won about 40, 30 races at Doom and lost a leg when he crossed the road. Oh, the Chief. The Chief. Yep. Chief De Beers, Simone. He uh, was a superstar at Doomben and a cart puller at, across the road at Eagle Farm. He <laughs> could not go at Eagle Farm. Well, there was a, a greyhound. Was it, um, I keep thinking Eaglehawk star. It wasn't. It was Spread Eagled. Spread Eagled, yeah. Olympic Park, he was an absolute champion. Yeah, won an Australian Cup. Yeah, that's right, for Joe Pearl, but just couldn't get around Sandown in the same manner. So he was 
one of those very, very special... Mm. Well, even Kingston Town track. found it difficult in the initial stages when he went to Caulfield. He made up for it with three cox plates, but uh, he found it tough. So, well, um, Saintly, popular arm. Saintly much better left-handed than right. Mm. Um, superimposed much better right-handed than left. Cosy, you're our SMS monitor too, by the way. Yeah. I can Vo, see your well, screen there. Vo Rogue's come up straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, there were two others. Wayne yep. Wilson, here in call them, they'd fight it out. Ben Galilad and Charlton Boy. Oh. <laughs> they used to Quinella all the time. Well, this leads us to our first guest because he will cover two Queensland champions uh, in Dambagua coming up shortly. Um, but before we get Dan up, you mentioned Vo Rogue. Um, we talk about favourite horses of all time. If he doesn't sit in the top three of everybody's favourite list, well, it would be a shock to all. Let's just remind us of how great this horse was, Vaux Rogue. Not answering? Get him a two-sexy vote. If, uh... And we'll get Dan Bagur up, because yeah. Dan trained Felvalon, and his dad prepared Strawberry Road, who was the Cox Plate winner. So... Um, We'll uh, we'll hear from Dan in in just a moment. We've got some wonderful horses and wonderful replays that we'll be able to uh, go through in just a moment. Blamey Stakes is a race that Vaux Rogue uh, made his own. He won it on three occasions. Still six in front. He rides him along. Now he's got it won. What an exciting horse this is. Vaux Rogue six lengths in front of Bonomi, King Phoenix and Cossack Warrior. Vaux Rogue has won by seven lengths. Bonomi second... Yeah, what a horse. What a horse he was, Vaux Rogue. Simone, just for his record, he was by Ivor Prince out of Vow. 83 starts, so he's around for a while. He won 26 races, over $3.1 million. But it feels like he was around for longer and he won more races. Uh, he actually won two blamings, I said three, but two Australian Cups, two St. George's, two Turnbulls. He won three CFOs, even one of William Reed. So he was effective from 1,200 to 2,000. But he needed it bone dry. Would he have been anywhere near as effective with the good four watering policy now? With the, with the sting out? Because well, he, he spat on the track. Every time, because back then the tracks would be rated dead, which is effectively what we would call somewhere between a soft five and a, and a good four. And there was always the threat, if it's a dead track, Vorog will be scratched. It happened every big race, didn't it? The fourth Australian Cup he ran in, I remember Shane Templeton, a former colleague of mine, was a very good friend of Gary Roberts, who was the bloke who bought into Vaux and he won that Australian Cup because he had about 14 to 1, and they walked the track, and they zigzagged a path to get to capture all the dry parts of the track, because the track was dead. So they'd sort of veer out, you know, across the back of the track, and then sort of veer in a bit, and then go out a bit, just to make sure that he was trotting on a, on a dry path all the way around. So it was quite... Quite fascinating. But wasn't I, there a, a really interesting story with Vic Rail, his trainer? Wasn't Vic quite eccentric? Um, he trained yep. Vo mm. Rogue in ways that other trainers yep. didn't. There didn't was wear racing plates story. and yeah, yeah never hosed him down. Bit unconventional. He always had to stand upwind from Vo Rogue because he never he never hosed him down. Apparently, really. Yeah, you know, I took that, him for a oh. pick. Twice, two different times. Once when he was racing at Flemington, once at Oakbank when he was doing his farewell tour, which is, you know, I was rather chuffed about, to be quite truthful. He was an imposing horse. He had that rusty look about him, mm. didn't he? Um, but uh, he, he was just built like steel and he raced like steel and had a racing pattern like no other. And a true but, freak. And a couple of things. I think his mother and father, Sarah and Dam, both were maidens. Yeah, Ivan Prince and Val. Didn't win a race. And mm. one morning at the track at Caulfield, uh, the late Jeff Murphy was there, and somebody said to him, how would you like to take Vaux Rogue? He said, no way, no one. So whatever that man's doing with him suits him perfectly, and I could not improve him one inch. Uh, exactly. 
So uh, we're going to talk about Felvalon and Strawberry Road. Uh, we haven't got a, Dan Bagur's gone AWOL. So well, I'll we'll, tell you what we'll do, I reckon. It's a bit of a package. Let's just remember Felvalon. And Strawberry Road. Yep. They're going to dash home. 400 metres to go. Lord Essex in front of Felvalon. Showerhart is going up to make it a line of three. Diamond Dane is just behind them. Mactagme High Panis is next on the inside. And then Phoenix Park. Felvalon's in front. Felvalon's in front. 150 metres to go. Felvalon drew a length clear of Lord Essex. Then Showerhart. But the champ's home. Go, boy. Felvalon by a length. Photo second and third. Showerhart on Lord Essex. A photo for fourth Phoenix Park or Perno then Diamond 600 Dane. out they pack up and fine off a bolted round the outside to go to the lead he's had no luck but he's charged to the lead from handsome Seattle perfect bliss come to London's gone Strawberry Road trying to get out of a pocket here's Sadapa hook four or five wide with Mr McGinty two to Trasaro LA Bajou Albany Bay Emancipation's last on the corner fine offer and handsome Seattle Mr McGinty and Sir Dapper and Strawberry Road they're all out and after the leaders on the corner now it's uh, Strawberry Road down to the lead from Fine Offer, then Mr McGinney beaten from Sir Dapper, but Strawberry Road, my goodness, he's a different horse today, he's going to walk in, Kiwi Slade coming from last, going to run second, Strawberry Road won it by four lengths, second Kiwi Slade, third Mr McGinney, fourth Handsome Seattle from Sir Dapper. First race meeting I ever went to, Daniel, was Kingston Town's third Cox Plate, so if everyone was going to become addicted, it was uh, the second race meeting I went to was 12 months later, Strawberry Road's Cox Plate. Wow. And I told you the story with the pop, the camera. You know the ones that popped out the photos, the Polaroids? Oh, I remember those. I Two or three years ago, I was at Mum and Dad's place, and I was going through some stuff, and I found these old Polaroids that I'd taken on Cox Plate, the two Cox Plate days. And one of them, I think we've, I've spoken about this, but uh, the mounting out, the, the, the parade ring up the back at Mooney Valley, it was like finding things in a shipwreck. You go, oh, my God. I've captured Rancher, Manicato, and <laughs> Kingston Town just wandering around. And then I remember going to the stripping sheds and... Um, getting a photo of Strawberry Road being washed down. And my memory of Strawberry Road is he had the most beautiful little head and he was a chocolate bay. He was the most chocolate. He was the most rich, not chocolatey. He had the most extraordinarily yeah, rich. Yeah. yeah. Loved the wet track. Loved and, it, yeah. And um, By Whiskey Road. Yeah. And, and they all did back then. No, exactly. And it's funny how you rank them. Like, what's the definition of a champion, for instance? And we were discussing this during the autumn with... Animo. Well, Animo's not a champion. He's just a really good horse. You know, the champions are the ones who... I think Strawberry Road was a bit of an Animo. He was a really, really good horse, but but he certainly wasn't Kingston Town and he wasn't Winx and he, you know, and he wasn't Flightline. Well, he, he creates to what Animo did and that was win, win a Cox Plate, but he won 17 races. 83 was the Cox Plate you were talking about. Um, he was Australian Horse of the Year in 1983. He dominated the three-year-old scene as well. He went overseas. He ran fifth in an Arc de Triomphe, trained by John Nichols. He ended up in the stables of Patrick B. and Coney. He ran in a Washington, D.C. International and a Breeders' Cup. He ran fourth in, seventh in a Japan Cup, travelled the world. You know, he was actually the champion German older horse of his year. Yep. He won in France a number, a number of feature races as well. So he, he was a in, mighty he, horse. He won in Baden-Baden, where yeah. I ended up in hospital once. Well, that was That's bad. Not, it's, bad, not a bad, it's, bad. Not a, it's not a bad story, actually. But where's Baden-Baden? Germany. I was in. Oh. This is actually quite famous race track. This is actually quite. I've told you the story about um, when I got ended up in hospital without insurance, didn't I? Uh, no, I haven't heard this one. So go. Do you want to hear a it. quick one? Because yeah, we can't. We can't get Dan Bagua, basically. So, so I'm travelling around in a car. Lance Justice is now ringing me back. Everyone does that. <laughs> um, 
so we're traveling around Europe and we were on the bones of our butts and I had this infection on the side of my sort of upper hip, which was just getting worse and worse and worse. I couldn't even sit down. It was just agony. So I ended up in the, with these guys I was traveling with. We went to Baden-Baden and uh, I said, guys, I'm, I'm dying here. I had a fever and all that. And they said, oh, we'll get you to hospital eventually. So we went to the Baden-Baden Sports Clinic, it was called. And uh bloke had one look at it and said, oh, we've got to operate immediately. Um, this will get in poisonous and you'll end up dying a horrible death or something like that. And I thought, well, I haven't got any travel insurance. I don't know how this is going to work out. So we hatched an escape plan because there's so much to this story. The guy in the bed next to me was mummified from head to toe with burns and the World Cup soccer was on, but he wouldn't let me watch it because all he wanted to watch was the opera on the only TV in the room. So there was a bit of argy-bargy there. And my travelling companions, we hatched a plan for them to help me escape down the fire escape out the the balcony of the, the room I was in. It was a very plush hospital. The day we were supposed to do it, the, the hospital orderly comes up to me and says, oh, yeah, we have, we know nothing about you. You are a mystery patient. We must cash in your traveler's checks to pay the bill. So I had to go and cash in all my traveler's checks. The final insult, I got the operation. Everything was going well. I was stuck in this hospital for about a week and a half. Couldn't do anything. Everything was cancelled, holiday-wise. I thought, I'll blow this. I'm going to take the hospital towel out onto the lawns of the grounds of this palatial hospital and lie down and sunbake and read my book, and I got attacked by bees. <laughs> I got bitten about 30 times by bees. And I thought, oh, that was a lot of fun. But what happened was there's a racetrack in Baden-Baden, and that's where Strawberry Road won yep. the Grosse Prix von Baden-Baden. Yep, indeed. You know that story you just told? There'll be so many people out there that you have now made their day knowing that... Um, the agony that I experienced. <laughs> that I Absolutely. Well, I just found a little bit of info about Strawberry Road. Um, he was only 15... Three hands, which I was it was a little pretty little. horse. I was yeah. just having this discussion with you before, Matt. That you look at some of these old horses and they look so big and rangy and heavy, more like the hunter type that you would look at today. But um, in actual fact, I see a lot of thoroughbreds that are a lot finer and smaller, and um, that so that really surprised me. And they said his confirmation wasn't super. There was a few little things going on, but he was a good doer and he shipped well when he went overseas. Um, and he had a good. A, a good stand, standing at stud. He sired 256 winners. So, yeah, it was well worth him going over there. Yeah, it was indeed. He really flew the flag. You're talking about the size of horses. This next horse was well documented as being a giant in every way. Burnborough, he stood at just over 17 hands. So it's about as tall as you can get. He had one of the best cadence uh, and a line of stride of any thoroughbred noted to this day. Folder 1939, the extraordinary story about Burnborough is that through the bona fides of his owner, effectively, he was barred from racing in Brisbane. So his first 20 starts were outside Brisbane. He then got sold, so the embargo was lifted, and it's quite extraordinary what happened next. He then came to town for the first time. They sent him to Sydney for the Villiers. Six-year-old, I think he was. And he was six years of age before he entered uh, a racetrack. Um, it, it was incredible the sequence that he had and the big race wins and the big weights that he used to carry. This is a package from the first time that he went to Doombin. The race was called the Ahern Handicap, which is now known as the Doombin 10,000, a field of 27. He carried 66 kilos and was a mile back at the 800. 
Let's watch Australia's richest horse race, the Ahern Memorial 10,000, which brings 45,000 people to Doonban Course, Brisbane, to see the mighty Burmbra, Australia's champion racehorse. There he goes to the starting post. The big field of 27 gets away for the seven furlong, less 93-yard sprint. Burmbra started badly and is 70 yards behind the leaders after they settle down. Only two furlongs to go, but slow motion shows how a real champion can triumph over weight and position. At this stage, Cragsman is leading from Hedewey, but watch Burmbra come through in the centre of the field, about six horses wide. His double white head strap makes him conspicuous as he makes his characteristic dash. At the ledger, the leader, Cragsman, looks an easy winner, but look out for a super champion. You can see Burmbra clearly now on the right of the picture as he puts in those long, devastating strides that make the rest of the field look as if they're standing still. He has the same timing, but his stride is much longer, and Burmbra goes on to win easily by two lengths. What an amazing horse, and that was part of a winning sequence that he had of uh, of 16 races, or he was actually going for, for 16, but he won 15 in a row. Um, remember, he was barred until in, in town until a six-year-old, so all this happened in the space of 11 months. What about this for a sequence? It started off with the Villiers in Sydney, but amongst the races that he won within that 11-month period were the All-Age Stakes, the Hill Stakes, the Warwick, the Rawson, Caulfield Stakes, Chelmsford, Chipping Norton, the Turnbull Stakes, which was then known as the Melbourne Stakes, the Futurity, Newmarket Handicap, Doombin 10,000, which we just heard, known as the Yahoon then. Seven days later, he backed up in the Doombin Cup and won that with the equivalent of 66.5 kilos. He was the most talked about sporting um, great in Australia at the time. And on Derby Day in 1946, he lined up in the LKS McKinnon Stakes. Only a small field up against the champion mare Flight. Surely he was going to make it 16 wins in a row. Surely he was going to make it 16 in a row. The thousands of race fans that crowd the rails at Flemington little know that in a short while one of the most tragic incidents in turf history is to happen. Burmbra, acclaimed by racing enthusiasts the world over as one of the finest horses to grace the turf, is to run his last race. The public idol is the cynosure of all eyes as he goes out for the LKS McKinnon Stakes. To the thousands who have followed him through his meteoric career, it's just a case of what will run second. With only five runners, there's no delay at the barrier. And as the tapes rise, flight, as usual, sets out as pacemaker. And the pace is on from the start. Murmurer moves into second place, going very comfortably. With flight now at full speed, they are really travelling. And soon it's a two-horse race. She leads Burnborough by over a length, with the others dropping back eight to ten lengths. Now Briscoe decides to move the big fellow up to flight. And without apparent effort, he gradually overhauls the mare. What a galloper he is. Now, what's that? He's broken his leg. Briscoe's pulling him up. To the public, this is tragedy, if you like. The anxious crowd forgets the race, and practically all eyes are focused on Burnborough. Probably not one in four sees flight go on to easy victory. Through the milling crowd, the champion is led. 
Exhibiting wonderful intelligence, the sufferer assists his helpers in every way. Officials immediately examine the spot where the champion has faltered, only to find the track in perfect order. Leading veterinary surgeons are hurried to inspect the horse, and in a short while the world knows that Burnborough the champion will race no more. Bandages are applied to ease the pain and prevent further damage to the wonder horse. The champion is assisted into a float, and one of the finest horses the turf has known is taken quietly away, never to race again. Oh, what a um, It was what sort of dulcify-like, but Burnborough did live. What about the choreography of the clip with the music matching the... Yeah. As soon as you hear the music go a bit sad, you think, oh, it's all over for Burnborough. It's very yeah. dramatic, isn't it? When uh, Dan sent through the the video of it, I thought, oh my goodness, is this one that I'm not going to be able to watch? But um, thankfully it was... The cameras weren't as close up as they are these days and in black and white, but a, a good story in the end. And what a lovely horse. He was magnificent, wasn't he, to look at? Huge. Enormous. Like you said, 17 hands. We've got a text page. Text three from Michael to what about the lady in black? The story of the lady in black ah, who punter. kept backing oh, him yes. and had lost everything in the last race. Yeah, yeah, she was like a um, almost like the Black Dahlia type yeah. thing. Who is this mysterious woman and and so on? She was part of that story. Uh, that had a much happier ending. The music would have got even more somber if it had been Ruffian. I've, I've told oh. you about Ruffian, the uh, the great American filly. Uh, well, well, speaking of that American connection too, Matt, is that uh, the horse obviously never raced again, but he was a, a stallion. He was bought by Louis B. Mayer, as in MGM, mm. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, um, to be a stallion in, in the US. So he went over to Kentucky, and I think he sired the winners of Ready over now, $5 million dollars over there. Million. So yeah. it, it was it was pretty extraordinary. 37 starts he had, 26 wins and three placings. And when they first introduced the Racing Hall of Fame, Australian Horsing, Horse uh, yeah, Racing Hall of Fame, my apologies, there were five horses inducted into the first year. They were Tullock, Kinstontown, Farlap, Carbine and Burnborough. Yep. And Simone, you know how you were talking, we were talking about Strawberry Road, how he's little and pretty. Burnborough was the sort of horse you were referring to, mm. dinner plate feet, massive, mm. huge, would have weighed 600 kilos, 17.1 hands, the exact same height as Farlap. And they measured his stride off a slow-motion video one day, and I think his stride length was 27 and a half it, feet. It was something to behold, wasn't it? Even that yeah. vision you're talking about. And I think Farlap, the, the symmetry between Farlap and Burnborough, I think they did a same, the same thing with Farlap and measured his stride length at about exactly the same, exactly the same height, exactly the same stride length. I think those, and if you want to see a dramatic video, there's there's also a YouTube clip of Burnborough's win in the new market when he oh. weaves from last. And, but and all so his on. wins were like that. He was famous for getting the mile back. Mm. Uh, there was one race there he gave the runner-up the equivalent of 28 kilos. I mean, it just sounds ridiculous. It does. I think it was a different era. I think, not putting these horses down, but the accomplishments weight-wise and backup-wise, like far lap four times in a week, I think it had a bit to do with the, how... The, the evolving nature of the racing industry at the time as well. A lot of them were almost farm-bred rivals and things like that. They weren't as fast as they are now. I think the accomplishments of the past, like, oh, my God, he carried 69 kilos and won a big sprint race. Like, couldn't do it now. You could do it then. You couldn't do it now. So it was but, – but everything's part of history, and he was an amazing horse of his times. Now, we've got uh – Lovely one here that we all forgot about. We cheered him from the grandstand and we cheered him from the grandstand. Begun the windy grey. Text Morton. And this was a number one hit. 
Yeah, the songs that you keep listening to now. Imagine this bloke rocking up to a recording studio with Bruno Mars saying, Oh, can I have a chat? Can I have a try, young man? <laughs> Listen to this song I did about the Gundawindi Grey. Gundawindi. Gundawindi? Yeah, they won't. It's Newcastle, did, not Newcastle. They'll put you back John into your place. John Tapp wrote and sang a song too about a horse. Little Hondo. Hondo Grattan. Little Hondo Grattan and yeah. Pale Face. That is one of a number of people. Richard Trembath did a fantastic version of that as well. Such were the, the great horses back then. They sang songs about it. Maybe it's something we could do. There is a greyhound song, and I'm. Can you sing, Simone? Gray- I cannot sing. Oh, my greyhound is grey. My greyhound isn't grey, or it's. We've had it on the show. Yeah. a long time. I'm ago. tipping Dan can't up. sing, but I'm tipping he thinks he can. Yeah, I know. I think I you're can't. right. I can. I can play. No, I know music, I can't sing. I know I can't sing. Well, well it's up to me again then to carry the carry the weight. I um, actually called Gunshin's last race track appearance. Oh, really? Oh, tell us at, more. At Gundawindi. Really? They took him back because he was known as the Gundawindi Grey because he went through there and the pip bosses and the people bought him and uh, the Gundawindi publican and news agent and so forth bought the horse. And the only time he ever went through Gundawindi was in a float on the way to the yearling sales. He, oh. So he wasn't from Gundawindi. But on his last day, they took him back there and they had bow stalls. They didn't have roofs, iron roofs. They put bows over the top. It was pretty rough in those days. And they decked him out in purple and white crepe paper. The whole town of Gundawindi, just purple and white crepe paper. Whoever sold that would have been a millionaire afterwards, I reckon. What did he look like? What was he like? Oh, he looked mate. I've got a photo at home of me holding him. Actually, mm. I got the chance to hold on to him, which was a huge thrill. Wow. And I'm trying to think of the jockey. One of the locals rode him in an inverted commas 800-metre exhibition gallop. And it was just canter off in the 800. Uh, on the track had gone to Windy and just let him go a little quicker in the straight, and that was it. And was he was he a big horse? Big, strong horse. Yeah, mm. very mm. big, strong horse. Lovely nature. Mm. Absolute beauty. Just behaved like an old toff there that day. And went out and, uh, yeah, way he went around. Huge. I'm always fascinated by what they were like. You know, like you can't, on the vision, you don't see it. But like when Cozzy just said, I have a photo of me standing next to Burnborough, it's a bit like standing next to Don Bradman or something, isn't it? You yeah. know, like. Yeah. Flightline, and when we get to this thing in a minute with Flightline, that was what I captured my imagination with the horse was, I reckon he's the best horse that's ever drawn breath, Flightline. There's never been a horse as good as Flightline. And the video sort of, that I plucked off YouTube sort of tells the story of the, the lead up to his last race. Oh. But, but you want to see him not racing. You want to see someone standing next to him so you can look at this and creature appreciate. and sort of think... Why are you so much better than the one next year? What yeah. is it about you that makes you so much better? You know. So. Well, I think people thought about the same thing with Flying Amy. Um, this greyhound that we talked about, um, Simone, and um, what a record. In fact, we might listen to one of her great performances. Ready now, racing, Flying Amy away very quickly. Flying Amy is going to lead from Ginger McGee and getting to third was Tap Dance. Followed by Ebony Rambler, Windar Alassan, Slick Talent behind those. And being shuffled back to the tail of the field was Mr. Kunawara with Mr. Green. But look at her go. Flying Amy is running the ragged off the back. Five links to Ginger McGee. Tap dancers holding down third and then came Ebony Rambler. But turning for home, it's all Flying Amy. And unquestionably the best sprinter in Australia. She wins by five. And if you're wondering who that race caller was, it had elements of Dan Malecki, well, you'd be right because that was you calling Dan. And I thought you loved Mancunian Girl, and I know you do, but calling a greyhound like Flying Amy, it must have been a thrill for you as well back in the day. They were, and and then you get to a highly blessed and to this day, well, she's fast. But, um, yeah, to call Flying Amy, she had 59 starts, 42 wins and 10 placings. Extraordinary. And back then she won 354,000. If you could just imagine the prize money and the opportunity she 
would have had now, um, she'd have to be look to be fair. She's probably better than well. She's fast. Um, one of the greatest uh, uh, female dogs of all time. There's no doubt about that. Certainly, and from Queensland. And from Queensland. That's right. I remember she came down for the Geelong Cup series one year. So it would have been early 90s and she didn't make it through but I remember that was the only time that I saw her actually in the flesh because she um Oh, perhaps I did see her in the Ronnie Ball trainer. She was a brindle colour. She was um, brindle, and she flew the lids. Oh, timing, absolutely. Her timing out of those lids was absolutely faultless. She was, I don't know, she had a sixth sense. Yeah, and those lids were going over. She was special. She has to be the best greyhound that I'm aware of that comes out of Queensland. Uh, I know you went yeah. through that list before, but she was something else, as was this harness horse, unquestionably the best. Let's remind us, this horse... 105 starts, 72 wins, 24 placings. It's extraordinary. Son of fake left, the great... Blacks are fake. It's smoking up in Safari. Safari levels up again. Report for duty behind them from Divisive. Then came Carl's Roof from Wellbeck. Blacks are fake getting home. Third quarter, 27-5. Safari led smoking up. Blacks are fake and Divisive are coming. Report for duty gets the run. Out wide Divisive. Blacks are fake after smoking up. Blacks are fake out wide going to smoking up. Blacks are fake smoking up. Report for duty. They hit it. Blacks are fake might have wanted a nose from smoking up in a great go third on the inside report for duty then safari simone have you noticed over the years that dan's responsible for our audio generally generally dan's very organized you notice that there's a disproportionate amount of dan's audio that features dan calling (laughs) is this just a a fluke that dan's (laughs) always just been been doing it a long time. And Maybe. Flying Amy into, into Black Fake. Well, I call Vorog as well. I was only going to put one of mine on Vorog. I thought, no, I can't do that. I do try to use someone else's voice, but sometimes um, I can't. Just speaking of speaking yeah. of that race, God, Smoking Up Safari, all superstars. Lance Justice is going yeah. to join you and I, Daniel, in about 40 minutes in the other show, uh, Race Day Mornings, to talk about the whip in harness racing. Uh, compared to the gallops, there's been a big controversy this week about the whip and overuse and and so on. So I just thought we'd get a harness racing take. Uh, just repeat the starts and wins for Blacks of Fake, Dan. Uh, Blacks of Fake had 105 starts and uh, won 72 races and was placed 24 times. Prize money of over $4.5 million. So that's for a harness horse, which is quite extraordinary. If, if he'd been a galloper with the same record and the same number of Group 1 wins, including wins in the biggest race of all, his prize money would have been $30 million, Oh, it's, it's extraordinary. And he was around for a long time. You know, he won four Inter-Dominions and was runner-up twice in his six attempts at the Inter-Dominion. He never won a Miracle Mile. It was about the only feature race that he never won. And the biggest win I remember for drama, and we've done it to death with... Uh, um, Brian Gath and all that was the Ballarat Cup Safari. Oh play. yeah, what a race! And the, he, bully, he, the bullying of Natalie yep. from Brian, um, just nudging her close to the inside of the track, just in the within the law, got away with it. She was very upset, um, and Brian Gath inadvertent commas bullied um, Black Safake into submission with Safari. It was an amazing. One more inch the other way, and it was... Um, bordering on illegal, perhaps. Bordering yep. on illegal driving, but he just knew exactly how much he could uh, push and push. One of the most memorable and one of the best harness races you'll ever see. Well, we're up to our first break. We remember some of the Queensland champions, uh, one of which was Planet Ruler, and another one 
was buffering. Buffering amongst the leading group, clear of Muth Moore, and then Lady Shipman with 300 metres left to go. Panerophobia and Buffering tackled by Erda Gel on the far side. Buffering on the grandstand side. Panerophobia and Erda Gel. Buffering in front, 100 metres left to go from Panerophobia. Erda Gel's lunging at the end. Buffering in front. Life is great in the Sunshine State, and those Queenslanders are celebrating. Buffering beat Erda Gel and Panerophobia. Jungle Cat, Muthur, Lady Shipman, Fitgard. Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Maliki and Simone Fisher. Cracking the Codes. Welcome back to Cracking the Codes. Okay, guys, been a fantastic year. Let's do our... We'll pick a highlight each for the year of 2022. Matt? Yes? I think you gave us a bit of a, a, a tease before, a preview as to what your highlight might have been, or your highlight horse, anyway. I texted this to Peter Moody because I wanted him to watch it because it would, would have resonated with him about what he was going through with Black Caviar, the more the pressure mounted, particularly Royal Ascot, so... <clears throat> Simone, I was stumbling through YouTube, as I do, it's my thing, and I came across a, about a 12 or 13-minute documentary on the build-up to the Breeders' Cup with a horse called Flightline in the United States, who's unbeaten and very quickly caught everyone's attention, and just as he became the greatest horse of all time, arguably, against Secretariat over there, the, his career was over because he went to stud. So this, the doco that I watched was a behind-the-scenes look at the the sense of expectation and pressure on the ownership group and the trainer and the lead-up between one race and the, and the final race. And it was just the emotional overboiling of emotion with the owners after the horse won. They expected him to win. You know, he won by 50 lengths or something like that. And just this sense of wonder that they had this horse who American horse racing's on the skit. You know, no, it's, it's not mainstream. But then suddenly this horse came along and... It felt like all of America was uh, invested in the story of Flightline, the, the greatest athlete. So this is just a snapshot, uh, an edited snapshot of the uh, YouTube doco, and I'll try and tell you how to find it, but it's pretty easy. But this is this is a snapshot of the uh, the story of Flightline leading into the Breeders' Cup. We have a horse really on the precipice of, of you know true greatness. Flightline goes in, all set for the TVG Pacific Classic, and there's the roar from the crowd. Are you Lead. It must be 13 lengths as they turn for home now. And take a good look at this vision. Not going to see this too often. Maybe never again. Flight line. 20 lengths clear. Flavion Pratt takes a hold and canters in in the TVG Pacific Classic. Next stage is the world stage. I'd like to think we sent a clear message to some of those other really, really top-end Colts. I'd say life is great. The Breeders' Cup World Championships at Keeneland. All of us could witness history today. Yes, his name is Flightline, a horse of a generation and then some. Maybe the best that we have seen since Secretariat. Everybody knows that we're about ready to see something spectacular. He is absolutely the best that I have seen in, in my lifetime. I think that we may see today the best day in American racing. The shot in the arm that we've needed for a long time is a superstar. That comment that you made... At the end of the year, right before the Malibu, yeah, that got people thinking, yes. Costa. And, and I just thought it was it was really cool to 
kind of keep coming back to that yeah. America's horse. Right. He loves this track. He's, he traveled well. He seemed to have enjoyed his stay here at Gainland. So looking forward to a nice day. I've always said he's he's the America's horse, so now everybody gets to see him in the whole world now. So that's going to be fun. Well, I've been doing this quite a while. I, I'm you know, so I have a you know, I'm not a nervous guy. We've been sitting up there for five six hours, so it's been a long day. We're glad it's finally here. There's not a lot we can say this late in other than, um, you know, let's get going. They're coming to the top of the stretch. Life is good. And Flightline hook up as they turn for home. And Flightline takes off. Flightline has gone right by Life is Good and comes into the final furlong with a three-leg clean. Life is good. Trying to claim the second. Tava is third. Down to the 16th pole. It is Flightline. It is Like, I'm reinvigorated to keep giving back as much as I can to the industry, and, and we will always be and always try to do the right thing. And, and we can never pay him back entirely for what he's given us, but we can sure try, and, and I'll commit to Flightline on behalf of all of us. He's just... Um, so you know he, how we've all got a mate who's the Clark, who always says glasses half empty and all that? I was so in Bali what, recently Stewart with sort of Wine Shop Dave, and he is that narc, and I said... Have a look at the, the, the video of all of Flightline starts. He goes, oh, yeah, right, if I have to. Watched it, and the end of it, he just stood up and said, never been a better horse, and walked off. And it, that, How watched, many red wines? Deco. Was... Did everyone on turf? Uh, no, no. Oh, are you, are you having a crack at Flightline? Oh, uh, well, you know, I thought real horses ran on turf. Oh, my God. No? This is so disrespectful. Well, no, look, a great anyway, horse. No, look, I, he, a bit of tongue-in-cheek there. It's rel- quite but extraordinary. But there's something the relentless went. about dirt where it's the true measure because they go flat out. And it's the last one. It's, there's no there's no hiding on the dirt. You it's, just can't. it's a bit like playing tennis on, on the car. Everyone hates it, but everyone also, well, the true tennis play players say... no good and it doesn't No, no, but they say the, tennis, the real tennis players play shots on, on clay courts. So mm. it's a bit like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, that's my, my favourite all-time horse other than Maldestro. And it was this year. And uh, actually, before we get your highlights, Simone, um, Cosy, was uh, any more suggestions as far as the great horses from Queensland are concerned? I know we had uh, a number of text messages um, from we, from lots of people. Feeling ready, got a Guernsey. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Golden two races, and both of them were worth $3 million. It, it, yeah. That's right. And, uh, and Bruce McLaughlin uh, trained it, and he, of course, uh, has a race named in his honour. It's probably the best race in Australia today, the two-year-old uh, McLaughlin today. Mm. And in uh, the Harness Leap to Fame, got a Guernsey there. Yeah, and currently as well. And it did have a win over my the horse that is my highlight of the year. What's yours, Simone? Well, I've got a couple, but I'll go from my second and third picks to my first pick. So, obviously, wow, she's fast with her Phoenix win last week and um, what she has done throughout the year, the match race, the showdown, uh, or the shootout, I should say. So definitely, wow, she's fast. You can't have a greyhound that's won over $2 million. And, um, you know, her form during the year, she's had a couple of unplaced, or she's run last in a couple of runs. So to get her back, definitely a highlight for many different reasons last week at the Phoenix. Also, the run of Stagger Out Lee for young trainer Jack Strutt, um, taking out the bold trees on Melbourne Cup night. I mean, that was an outstanding run for a greyhound that was out the back and didn't look like it had any hope. And... An amazing run, a, a fantastic story. He's um, doing a double degree in 
law and something else, brainy accounting, economics, maybe, economics something what a, what like that. What a brainiac. Yeah, brainiac. Mm. So, um, and he lives in Wagga. So for him to travel, it's quite a logistical effort to get anywhere. But my highlight for the year was back earlier in the year, which sometimes you have to look back because we forget what great achievements greyhounds and trainers have made. And I thought the win... The Victorian Greyhound of the Year, Aston Rupee, in the handpicked Tem Lee, was a standout. Um, he'd won the Top Gun a couple of months prior. He's had, he's gone to stud, but 42 starts for 23 wins and 14 placings. A track record at Sandown. Um, outstanding chaser and um, owned by Ray Border, trained by Glenn Rounds. And this was him taking out the Tem Lee. Racing. Aston Rupee jumped only fairly away fast there. Spotted Elk to lead settling down. Idolise Aston Rupee is driving around the outside. Hit of the first turn. Now it's a great race up front. Aston Rupee zoomed around the outside and took the lead. Down the back straight. They're about to shoot the lights out here. It's about five, six out in front. Idolise. Oh, followed then by Kinson Bale. Behind them then came Do It next to the outside. Then came Layla Kiwi. Followed by Zipping Curious and Spotted Elk turning for home though. Aston Rupee, the fastest greyhound in the land, is dashing away to win the team. Second spot again, Wildlife, tight for third. Zippy Tesra, do it. Well, that was my highlight, Matt. Um, Flightline, Aston Rupee, and um, that leaves one to go, no doubt, in the harness. And there's been some outstanding performances. And as I've been working a little bit at Melton back in the swabbing bay and out on the track, Dan, um, I've been noticing some of these horses a little bit more. But there's one that caught my eye, and I know he's caught your eye as well. Oh, no doubt. This horse is probably the most exciting I've seen for some time. Yet he did have his colours lowered by the great Queensland elite to fame. And I speak of Captain Ravishing in the Breeders' Crown Final. And it's a rip, about six metres in front of Captain Ravishing. He's asked for the supreme effort tonight, chasing his first group one. Rip has to be shaken up. Captain Ravishing's getting closer. He's breathing down the neck of Rip. Are we going to see something special tonight from Captain Ravishing? He hit the lead off the back straight. The equine jet goes for home. Captain Ravishing, and he burst away. Captain Ravishing has raced away from Rip. Then he's Charlie's Angel. Next is Kafaji. Further back to interest free, but look at... Let him go. Captain Ravishing around the final turn. He has opened up. Third quarter in 27.4. Captain Ravishing. He's going to be the most talked about horse in harness racing anywhere in Australasia. How about that for a win? Captain Ravishing, we salute you. You are a star. Captain Ravishing won by 30. Flash Jimmy got to second. Interest-free third. He's Charlie's Angel fourth. This is RSN cracking the codes. Vic Bread semi-finals last night. It was a terrific night and it builds to a, a big night, the biggest night of harness racing next Saturday night, New Year's Eve, uh, for 12 races and 12 Group 1s. Rob Orwell was there last night to relive some of the highlights. So, Rob, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us on Cracking the Codes. Yeah, good morning, uh, Dan and Matt and Simone. Uh, good to catch up with you all. I'm standing here at Bacchus Marsh Trials. My two-year-old's about to go around. I only waited three years for this moment and I'm talking to you guys. So, how good that? <laughs> Bacchus Marsh Trials, I went to a, used to go to restricted race meetings at Bacchus Marsh, my hometown, and Rob, that whole precinct around there, this is how much Bacchus Marsh is growing, it's, there's a lot going on around the, on the, around the trotting track now, isn't there, with all the sporting fields? Oh, there are a lot of sporting fields, there's a lot of houses going up, it's, uh, it's booming Bacchus Marsh, it is, it's a great place, and um, they've done a great job down here as well, they've uh, re- uh, done up their track, and 
Uh, great to see so many of the local harness racing people who uh, reside around, you know, the Melson Bacchus Marsh area. They come down here on Saturday mornings and they uh, support the club. They have their uh, egg and bacon sandwiches, their coffees, their sausages. It's, uh, it's a great, great atmosphere. Making me hungry. Hey, last night was terrific. Emma Stewart, great night again. It's uh, typical of her stable. Seven winners on the program. Uh, what were some of the highlights? Look, uh, they qualified 27 horses, I think, for the final. So congratulations to them. A fantastic effort. Uh, look, uh, look, Major Moth, Better Eclipse, uh, the four-year-old Intise and Geldings, both absolutely outstanding. What a clash that's going to be on New Year's Eve. Uh, Better Eclipse has drawn two in the final. Major Moth, three. And uh, that race certainly has been set up for uh, one of the exciting finals of the night. Uh, we saw the domination of that uh, in sight of the three-year-old filly. She was outstanding. Uh, once again, just continues on her uh, winning way. She now goes through to uh, the final. But obviously, uh, Amore Vita, a horse that uh, is very close to your heart, Danny, uh, she was back to her brilliant best last night. She also now will make this a, a really interesting clash between these two great fillies uh, on New Year's Eve. Uh, we saw uh, the dominance of Tough Tilly, absolutely fantastic uh, winning last night. She went around, sat outside Tay-Tay and just proved too strong. And Doug's babe, who's been... So close up in recent times. Uh, she was terrific winning the four-year-old Mayor's final. And they they will go through to the final next week. Doug's Babe's drawn the front row and, and Tough Tilly the second row. Doug's Babe's been sold to America from all uh, all reports. So uh, we'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think Sonia Smith uh, and Anthony Butt will be looking after the horse, uh, I believe, going into uh, the final. So that's probably a, a last-minute uh, update for, for that. We saw the two-year-old Philly Sweet Bella from the Emma Stewart stable. She was terrific. And also Joyful's one that's emerged out of the pack. Uh, both very, very classy fillies. Uh, that's going to be an interesting race, the, uh, the two-year-old division. And uh, also the Colts and Geldings division, we saw the Lost Storm winning off the second row. He was terrific. And uh, Blake Bolak taking out to the first race there last night. Rock Artist, another one from the Emma Stewart stable, was very good. So we saw some uh, some wonderful performances. Here's Charlie's Angel, another great story there for Charlene Guzman, who uh, bred the horse, uh, owns it, drives it, and this horse now goes into the three-year-old final, uh, and that certainly also uh, is a great story in itself, uh, to think that... Uh, uh, a young lady who's uh, probably not so young these days uh, has really started from, you know, start from start to finish from a, a hobby breeder, uh, breeding her own horse, uh, and now you know not only breeding it but owning it and then driving it and training it. The whole package. Uh, it's a fantastic story in itself. He's Charlie's angel. Yeah, it certainly is. Twelve races next week, twelve group one, six of them for the trotters. All the barrier draws are out now. You can look at it on the trots.com.au and the harness.org sites. And, and next week on the big night, you'll be the host on Trots Vision. What a night ahead, Rob. It's going to be fantastic. Twelve group ones. It's the biggest crowd of the year at Tabcor Park, Melton. Hopefully everyone can come out there. And if you can't, uh, tune in to Trots Vision and RSN. We're going to do a fantastic coverage. And as I said, uh, you don't find anywhere uh, around Australia with twelve group ones on the one night. The New Year's Eve, what a great way to finish off the year uh, in celebrating uh, Group 1 success. Thank you, Rob. Good luck with your two-year-old at the trials and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you all, guys, and take care. Thank you. Um, Sean, um, any updates uh, yeah, from a our... More. Yeah, go on. Gold edition. Remember Ronnie oh, Maud and Sassy Cat Cedars? Ollie Road, yep. Tails, Sammy Howard. 
yeah. won a couple of Metropolitans. Yeah. And one wag said, what about Slug's brother Nugget? Yeah, <laughs> why not? It'd be important to somebody. <laughs> Sounds like a bloke you'd invite to a barbecue. Yeah, you're right. And, did you remember uh, to invite Slug's brother Nugget? Yeah, of course I did. Uh, Daybreak Lover would be up there, wouldn't yeah, he? Yeah. yeah he, right. he was a top horse. Simone... I was just going to say the person that um, said Top Simbi, 1973 and 74 Greyhound of the Year in Queensland and also in the Hall of Fame there too. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, We'll be back on Boxing Day with a special episode of Cracking the Codes. We certainly will. Big day of racing, Boxing Day with the Group 1 Sale Cup. So we will be having a chat to a club rep there. And I know there's plenty of gallops and harness on that day. It'll be a busy day, Matthew. Take a little breath, and we'll be back shortly. Uh, we say bye-bye, thanks. Hopefully everyone enjoyed our Cracking the Codes this morning. And as we go, uh, one of my favourites, Planet Ruler. Running down with 300 metres to go, Solve at the outside of Prince of Praise. Soho Square joins in, Bows getting out, take the road, Dan Jeeky wide, then Big Dreams. Soho Square in front, 150 to go, Soho Square the leader. Bows bearing it down, and Planet Ruler late down the outside. Soho Square in front, Planet Ruler swabbing them, and Planet Ruler's got up. Planet Ruler's got up to beat Soho Square and Bows. Then Excited Angel close up fourth, and then Prince Alieri, Dan Jeeky take the road. Matinee Idol ready to explode and solve it. Prince of Praise, T-Habit.